Well, good morning, church. Really uh, miss you. This reminds me of, you know, those times in the Old Testament where the people of God were in exile. They had to leave the promised land, their home that God promised to give them. And they, they had to worship and commune with God and with one another in a really unfamiliar place. And they just longed to be back in Jerusalem, longed to be worshiping God together, ascending that hill to Jerusalem. And I um, mean, in some small way, we are, we are in exile. We can't gather together. Um, and I just want to remind us that, listen, we, we do have many, many needs in this season. We have many needs, but the one thing, the one thing we need the one thing that if we don't have, we have nothing. The one thing you need right now is the Lord. You need his grace. His grace is sufficient for us, even in this season. His spirit is able to sustain us. And as the Bible speaks of, he's able to preserve us, to keep us from temptation, to preserve our faith. And what we, what we need right now, church, the way he delivers those things is the, the, what the Spirit uses, how God speaks and ministers and feeds us is his word. And I'm just so thankful, gosh, it, it is not how he made it to be that we cannot be all together and hearing one another's voices and enjoying fellowship. But we do, we have his word and his word is enough. It's enough to sustain us and to feed us and to give us fuel and faith. And by God's grace, his word is not bound right now. By his grace, you can open up your Bible. We can do this together wherever and whenever you're watching this. We can open up God's word and the spirit of God can speak to us through it. And so there is nothing more important for the church to do than to sit and hear God, to worship God by hearing him speak and fueling us and creating faith and sustaining in us. That is worship. That has always been worship to hear God. And so I'm thankful that we are able to do even this together. Um, I'm going to read for us our text this morning. It's in John, the book of John, the gospel of John, John chapter 5. Verses 25 to 29. If you're new uh, to, to Reality Carp or if you haven't been here in a while, we've been just working our way verse by verse through the gospel of John. And we just want to be looking at the person of Jesus together. In this crazy world with all of the, the craziness and uncertainties going on in our life, there is a certainty and his name is Jesus. And we can look at him as we read his word, as we look at the gospels, as John shows us who he is and what he is like. And we pick up in John chapter five, this is right in the middle of a defense Jesus is making to the, the Jews. That's how John refers to them, the Jews. And it's specifically the, the Jewish leaders who are accusing Jesus of blasphemy. And so John chapter five, it begins with a healing and it, it proceeds for Jesus to de defend himself, his deity, who he is, what he is about. And so we, we pick up in the middle of that conversation. We'll read verse 25 to 29. I'm reading out of the ESV. 
this morning. Definitely um, pause this video, go grab a Bible, get another device, search John 5 ESV. We're just going to be working phrase by phrase through the text. Um, my job, my goal is just to read what is here and then together to help see what is, what is God saying and what does it mean for our life. So let's read John chapter 5. Uh, verse 25 to 29 together. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. We just heard from God. Let's, let's pray and ask him to bless our time studying his word. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive, it's living, it's active. And even through technology and even as we have to study it apart, Jesus, you are able to speak today just as clearly as you were any other day through your word. So Holy Spirit, would you help us, your children, your people, your sheep, help us to hear the voice of our shepherd. Would you lead us? by still waters and green pastures, would you feed us and restore our soul? Would you, through your word, go after those who, who are far from you or are yet to even know you? And through your word, would you call them home? Would you save this morning? Would you save as they hear your word preached and proclaimed? And God, just help me now just to be faithful just to be clear, to get myself and my thoughts and my opinions out of the way. We need to hear from God this morning. There are so many voices. There are so many YouTube channels. There are so many podcasts. There are so many people right now speaking, but we want to hear from the living God. So please speak. And you have spoken and you will speak. Really, I ask, Lord, you would give us ears to hear you speak. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the, the, the title of this sermon is An Hour is Coming. An Hour is Coming. And Jesus speaks in these verses about the day, the hour that is coming when you and I and every person who has ever lived will stand before God. We will no longer be on this planet. Our bodies will be gone. Our souls will be before God. And, and as crazy and incredible as that sounds, because we, we've never experienced that. This is all we've ever experienced. This world, this, these bodies, this is all we've ever experienced. As crazy as that sounds, listen, the Bible is crystal clear. This is not all there is. This life, 
this planet, this universe, this solar system is not all there is. And when we die, that is not the end. And I don't care if you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian, you know this. Your soul, your heart knows this is not all there is. In the book of Ecclesiastes, um, the, the wisest man to ever live, his name was Solomon. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, listen to what he says. This is true. He's speaking about God. And he said, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. What this wise man said under the inspiration and authority of God is that every person who has ever lived knows in their hearts This is not all there is. This life is not all there is. We will live for eternity. No matter who you are, no matter what religion you are, no matter anything about you, your soul will live forever. And the Bible's clear, you know it. You know it in your heart. You will live forever. And Jesus speaks of these very matters in these five verses as he's defending himself to these Jewish leaders. Remember, Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath and he told this man, pick up your bed and go home. And Jesus intentionally had that man break the man-made religious commandment. You can't carry something on the Sabbath. And so Jesus breaks this law on purpose and the Jewish leaders confront Jesus about it. And what Jesus proceeds to do is defend himself to these men. And he essentially says, I am the son of God. I am God incarnate, the second member of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I am the son of God. And I have the same authority to do whatever God the Father does. And God the Father, did you know, works every single day. He sustains the universe today. And so I'm going to heal this man today and intentionally break your law to say to you, I will not submit to any false religion. I am God. You need to submit to me. And then Jesus goes on to defend his deity. And he says that he's the son of God and whatever God does, he does. And he says that he gives life and he's the one who will judge. And and then he picks up on this idea in, in verse 25 through 29. And he extends all of these concepts about who he is as the son of God and his rights as the son of God. And he speaks about the last day. An hour is coming, he says, when you, when every person who has ever lived will rise and will stand before God. And they will be separated, some to eternal life and some to eternal death. So Jesus speaks of these matters in these five verses. And we're going to break up these five verses up into just two headings. There's really two points Jesus makes in these five verses. Uh, Verses 25 and 26, Jesus essentially says that he, Jesus, the Son of God, raises people from spiritual death. He raises them from spiritual death. 
And then the, the middle verse in verse 27, it's kind of like the hinge and it's kind of like, or the bridge. And then the second two verses, he says, and not only do I raise people from spiritual death, I will raise every person from literal death. So Jesus raises the spiritually dead and then he raises all the dead is really the two points of these five verses. And we're just going to walk through them. And so first, Jesus raises the spiritually dead. Let's look together at verse 25 and 26. Jesus begins with these two words, truly, truly. Now I just want to stop and remind you that Jesus is saying listen to me. Listen to me. He is saying, I am not lying. I am the son of God. And what I say is true. It is absolutely true. I don't lie. I don't kind of see fuzzy. I don't speak vaguely. Truly, truly. And then he's going to go to speak about your soul and your eternity so I just want to exhort you with the words of Jesus, listen, listen. This is of eternal significance, no matter who you are. Truly, truly, Jesus is saying, what I'm gonna say is significant. And then he says, I say to you. Now we know in context, he's speaking to the Jewish leaders, but the Holy Spirit preserved these words. Jesus said a lot of things. But the Holy Spirit preserved these words and through the author, John, he wrote them in scripture. And so these words are also for you. Jesus is speaking to you. Truly, Jesus is saying to you. And I just wanna ask you, do you hear from God? Have you ever heard from God? And let me, let me ask you, how do you know you've heard from God? And how do you know it was God you heard from and not your own thoughts. Let me ask you, how do you know it was God you heard from and not the devil? How do you know? Do you simply say, oh, well, I just know when I sense God speaking, I just knew it was him. Did you know the Bible says Satan disguises himself as an angel of light? How do you know? How can you know that you have heard from God? I'll tell you how you can know. I'll tell you how you can know that you can hear from God. This book, this book is the word of God. It's black and white and it's perfect and it doesn't lie. And this book is the sword of the spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit has given his people so that they can know that they know that they know that they are hearing from God. When they read, I say to you, they can know what they're hearing and reading is God speaking perfectly to them. Jesus says through his word to you this morning, an hour is coming. Then he says in verse 25, and is now here, is now here. An hour is coming, but is now here. So wait, what are you saying, Jesus? If the hour is coming, how is it here? Well, what he's getting at in this verse is an hour is coming and is now here when he will raise the spiritually dead. 
he's going to get to the end of all times when he's going to raise everybody. But in these two verses, he's saying, the hour is now here when I will raise the spiritually dead. And it's now here. It's today. Jesus is saving people today. It's now here. It's now here. And what does he say? He says, an hour is coming and is now here. When what? When the dead will hear the voice of the Son. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son. Now again, this isn't speaking of the end of all times when he raises everyone from the dead. So why does he say the dead will hear? What is he saying? Well, I'll tell you what he's saying. If you are quick, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. There's many places we can turn. This one's just extremely clear. Ephesians chapter 2. What does Jesus mean when he's going to raise the dead? When those who hear the dead, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God? Well, here's what he means. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, Paul is speaking about every human being, and this is what he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He's speaking of Satan. Verse three, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body in the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What he is saying is, it's, it's interesting, in verse three, he even uses the word, they lived in their passions. So there are people, in fact, every person who has ever lived is born with physical life and they're walking around following their passions, doing whatever they want. But did you know that their souls are dead? That every person who is sinning, they're dead in their sins, in their trespasses. That when you were born, your soul was dead. When I was born, my soul was dead. Every person is born because of Adam and Eve and their sin that they committed. Since that moment, sin entered into the world. And as Romans says, it entered from Adam and it went to every person who has ever lived. And so you and I and everyone were born spiritually dead. And I just want to make that personal. This is not some theological truth. I, Bo Beckendam, had a spiritually dead soul. I was dead. I was a slave to my passions, to what other people thought about me, to pleasing people. I, yeah, I knew God was real, but, but I was dead. I was his enemy. I was his enemy. But Jesus said, an hour is now here when I will speak, when my voice, my, my word will go forth and what it will do to a dead soul is it will make it alive. Jesus is saying, I speak and bring new life to dead souls. When the dead will hear the voice of of the Son. Look at John chapter 10, verse 16, if you want to turn back to John. John 10, 16. Jesus speaks of this later many, many times. I just want us to see one reference. John 10, 16. Jesus is speaking how he's the good shepherd. 
Look what he says in John 10, 16. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also so they will listen to what? My voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. What he's saying is there are lost sheep. It's another way of saying there are dead souls. They're lost sheep. But Jesus, the good shepherd, goes after those sheep and he speaks to them and he brings them home. Spiritual life. I want to read one more reference in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Paul picks up this idea in another way. And this is what he says. Faith, that's new life, that's a soul that's now alive, believing and communing in God. It says, so faith comes. How does faith come? How does a soul come to life? Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Every soul that has ever lived was dead. And yet Jesus, through his word, preserved by God's grace for us, goes out and the spirit of God brings souls, dead souls to life. He brings lost sheep home. Jesus raises the spiritually dead. But now look, look what he says in verse 25, John 5, 25. He says, it's coming and now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And then, but then it goes on, and those who hear will live. Those who hear will live. Well, you could ask, so all it takes is I just walk up to someone and read them uh, something that Jesus said, hey, Jesus loves you, died, for your, uh, died on the cross for your sins, and now they're instantly alive. No, that's not what it's saying. It's saying those who hear is a biblical expression of belief, who hear with faith. You can hear Jesus speak. You can hear me speaking Jesus' words right now and not really hear. In John chapter eight, verse 43, Jesus uh, explains this exact thing. John eight forty three. Jesus is speaking to those who are spiritually dead and listen to what he says. John eight forty three. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. So they're hearing his words, but they're not listening. They're spiritually saying, no, I'm not gonna hear. I can't bear to hear it, Jesus. And then a few verses down in verse 47, he says the same thing. Whoever is of God hears the words of God with faith. They believe them, they trust them. The reason why you do not hear them is you are not of God. And so what we see is you can hear physically, literally with your ears, the words of Jesus and reject them and stay spiritually dead. But those who hear the words of Jesus and believe, who hear and trust, they are spiritually alive. This is the, this is the most significant thing that can happen to a human being on this planet to become spiritually alive. This, in, in many ways, you could say is the first resurrection, the resurrection of your soul, to be saved, to have a dead heart and heart. And, and when you hear and believe the words of Christ, the Bible says your heart that was stone becomes flesh. That your ears that used to re reject the words of God, just they now hear them and it sounds like the voice of your shepherd. So this is how Jesus raises first and foremost through his words, the spiritually dead. 
Now what happens? Jesus explains in verse uh, 26 more specifically, when you hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear it says, they will live. And it uses that word intentionally, live. And then he, he draws that out. Look with me at verse 26 now. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. What he's saying here is this. God, life begins in God. Scientifically, you cannot have something unless it has a cause. Where does life come from? Where did the first breathing, living creature come, come from? Well, it came from God, who has life in himself. That's speaking of the self-existence, the self-sufficiency. God does not draw his life from anyone else. From all eternity past, God has had life. And he gives that life to God the Son. Now, God the Son was always also eternally alive, but he's begotten of the Father. And so he draws his self-sufficient life from the Son. And then the Spirit proceeds from their relationship. It's mind-blowing. It's the Trinity. It's amazing. But the point is, life comes from God. Life exists in God. It starts with God the Father and he grants it to the Son for eternally. And then if you hear the voice of Jesus and believe, then Jesus hands that spiritual life to you. And that's what we refer to as salvation, being born again. And I want us to know this. Salvation is not just some transaction where God takes away all your sin and then you're forgiven, and then you just go on doing whatever you are doing, it's bigger than that. It's so significant. It's such a dramatic change that is as if your soul, it's literally your soul was dead, and now your soul is alive. Salvation is life. It's, it's that dramatic. It's, I was dead. My soul was dead. I hated God. I loved my sin and now I'm alive. It's not just some transaction. It's life. This is the metaphor that John uses in the gospel of John to know Jesus is to have eternal life, life to the full. I want to just note, point out one way we see this life in John 10 again, when Jesus speaks that he came to give life and life abundantly in verse 27, he says, listen, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they what? They follow me. To have life, spiritual life is to love, to follow Jesus, to be alive to be actively walking with Jesus, obeying Jesus, hearing the voice and the words of Jesus. It's not some dead faith. It's not some, oh yeah, in my brain, I agree with this idea. No, it's I will obey. It's a living, trusting, alive type of life. What else that means for us is, is, is it brings hope in a season like the one we're living in. We live in a world of death. There's some crazy website I found with the coronavirus. It's like world tracker or world meter. And it just shows you, it's like running totals of how many people are being born at the moment and how many people are dying at the moment. And it goes on to, to show you how many people have died from coronavirus, how many people have died from the flu, how many abortions have happened this year. It's in the tens of millions. And you just look at all of the death 
And it's overwhelming to see right now how much death there is in the world. We live just surrounded by death. But to believe in Jesus, to hear his word, to be spiritually alive is to no longer fear death. To no longer be enslaved to the fear of what if I die? Because you know what we know as Christians? If you're not a Christian yet, do you know what Christians get to do? They could say, what's the worst thing that can happen to me? My body dies and I go be with God because my soul is alive. I don't fear death. I do, I do not fear death. I want to read for you 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 13 and 15. Paul's speaking of this idea because if you, Christian, are born again and your soul's alive, hear this. This is true about you. 1 Thessalonians 4.13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, meaning those who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Christian, you do not have to fear death. You don't have to grieve death like the world grieves death. You have real hope. Charles Spurgeon, a pastor from England, a hundred or so years ago, a little longer, this is what he said. He said, death, what is it? It is the waiting room where we robe ourselves for immortality. Death is the gate of life. I will not fear death. Christian, your death is the gate of life. If you've trusted, if you've heard Jesus speak, you've heard the news that you were spiritually dead, Yet Jesus came, lived a perfect life. He was murdered on the cross, tortured on a Roman cross. And as he hung there for three hours, the wrath of God for sinners was poured out on him. And if you would trust in Christ, if you would repent, if you would turn from your sin and say, I need salvation, I need forgiveness. I trust in you, Jesus. If you've done that, if you've heard that word and you've trusted in him, you have passed from spiritual death to spiritual life. And you no longer need to fear death. You no longer need to fear that day when you will see God face to face for you will already be his child. You will be with him forever. 
And so that first point, Jesus raises the spiritually dead. Now, now the, the, this passage turns on verse 27. Let's read it together. It says this, And he, God the Father, has given him, Jesus, authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Now, it's kind of strange. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's, he's talking about how he gives life. And then he talks about, but he's going to judge. And he refers to this passage in the Old Testament, one of the most well-known passages of the, the Messiah. And he says, he refers to himself as the son of man. And what he's doing is referring to Daniel chapter seven. If you want to turn there with me, I'll just read two verses. This is an ancient prophecy of the Messiah, of Jesus, when the end will come and that day will come. This is what will happen. And Jesus is referring to this before he sets up the fact that he's going to raise not only the spiritually dead, he's literally going to raise all of the dead. So Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Jesus is referring to this passage. Daniel is seeing a vision. And he says this, Daniel 7, 13. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like what? A son of man. Jesus said, I'm the son of man. There came one like the son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. Now, this is a picture of Jesus, the son of man, being presented in the end before his father, God, at the ancient of days. And verse 14 says, And to him, Jesus, the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So it's this crazy vision of the end of all times and Jesus is being presented before his father and the father hands Jesus all dominion over every person, over every kingdom. And he hands him the ability to judge the world. And so Jesus says in verse 25, 26, hey, right now I'm raising people spiritually, but I'm also the son of man. And what that means as he goes on to to speak in verse 28 and 29, is an hour is going to come when I'm going to sit on my throne and I will judge the world. And that's what he says in verses 28, 29. Let's look at these two verses. And the, the, the point, the summary is this, Jesus will raise all the dead. Jesus will raise all of the dead. So he begins in verse 28. He says, Do not marvel at this. Now, I just want to pause there. What he's doing is he's acknowledging, he's speaking to Jewish religious leaders, and he just said, I'm God, and I raise spiritually dead souls. I give salvation. The same way God the Father has life, I have life, and I raise them spiritually. And so you know the Jews are are saying, who does this guy think he is? He thinks he can save souls. So Jesus begins verse 28 saying, don't marvel at that. It's like he's saying, but you can marvel at this. He's saying, yeah, that's cool, but listen to this. And he goes on to say, verse 28, 
Do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Okay. I just want us to try to picture this. All those who are in the tombs, meaning all those who have ever died, all those human beings, every human being who has ever lived, ever, billions of humans. An hour is coming when Jesus will speak and he will say, come out. And every single person will rise from the dead. In a few chapters, we're going to read Lazarus being raised from the dead. He was dead for four days. It's almost unprecedented. It's only happened a few times in the Bible. Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And a man who was dead for four days came out of the tombs. Jesus is saying, an hour is coming when I will do that to every single person. My power is such that I simply speak. They will hear my voice and every dead person, every dead person will rise from the dead. That same voice that created the world, the same voice that raised Lazarus from the dead will raise all of us from the dead. And then he says, verse 29, they will come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. What we are hearing right now is the most sobering, significant thing. It's, it's like we were to walk up and look at the Grand Canyon. And, and you, if you've ever been there, you, you, most places you can't even see the bottom. But it's like we're walking up to a chasm and the bottom is eternity. It's, we are dealing with eternity. And Jesus says crystal clear, there are only two groups of people. There are only two places to go. There is eternal life. It's life abundant with God on a new earth forever. And then there's eternal death or the resurrection of judgment where Jesus elsewhere speaks of an eternal conscious torment. Two places, two groups of people forever. And how is it decided where you go? How is it decided? I mean, there is no more important question for us to answer than will I go have eternal life or will I be punished for all of eternity? How is it decided? Well, on the surface, honestly, it looks kind of like salvation by works. It says those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of death. Is Jesus saying, do as much good as you can and you'll go to heaven. 
But if you do not that much good, you'll go to hell forever. That is pretty much the default thinking in the world. If you were to ask someone, are you going to heaven or hell? And and how would you know? They would say, well, you know, I tried to be a good person. Is that what Jesus is saying here? Is that what the Bible is saying? Let me just emphatically say, no, that is not what Jesus is saying. That is not what the Bible says. I want you to see it with your own eyes. Turn with me just one chapter over to chapter 6, verse 29. John 6, 29. He's having another conversation about salvation. And people say, how can we have salvation? What must we do to do the works of God, they say. In chapter 6, verse 29, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. What is doing good? It is simply believing in Jesus. And in fact, if you look back at our text and look back one verse, this is crystal clear. John 5 verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not pass into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. And so the Bible is crystal clear, even in this very context in the next chapter, Jesus is clear to be saved, to have eternal life is to believe in Jesus, which means to acknowledge you are a sinner, but Jesus is the son of God who died in your place. He was your substitute who was punished on the cross. And if you believe in him and trust in him, all of your sins, the punishment for your sins will be poured out on Jesus and all of his righteousness will be given to you. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we who would believe in him would become the righteousness of God. So how do you have eternal life? You believe in him. But now hear me. At the last day when you stand before God, your life, your actions, your deeds will reveal the state of your soul. And God says, the way he will judge if someone is truly spiritually alive is he will look at their life. And will there be real spiritual fruit that results from spiritual life or will there be no spiritual fruit? Now I want to clarify a bit again. This is not do enough good works and then when you stand before God, he'll look at all your good works and say, okay. But what he will do is look at your life and your life will reveal if your soul is alive or if it's dead. This is where Jesus speaks of, you look at a tree, you will know a tree by its fruit. A tree that is truly spiritually alive will have good fruit, truly good fruit. Fruit that is obeying God because you love God from your heart. And if you look at a dead tree, it will have bad fruit, rotten fruit. Now, again, if if you're bearing rotten fruit, the goal isn't to go take some good fruit and tape it to your tree. The goal is 
become alive. Get to the root. What is the root? The root is spiritual life, is belief in Jesus. And now, I want to just even draw a few things out from these verses that bring even more clarity. Now, um, this is one of those rare times when uh, our English translations don't always uh, give us all the meaning in the original Greek text. For in, in verse 29, it says this, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So you have two phrases, done good, done evil. Same words, done and done, but they're actually different words in Greek, okay? Stick with me. This is literally eternally significant. The, the, the phrase, the word for done good actually speaks of, I won't give you the, the, the Greek word. You can email me if you want it. It speaks of a completed action, it's done. This work that you did in faith, oh, I love God. And do you know why I love God so much? I want to I wanna be generous with my neighbor so that they can know that God is good. That work is complete. It's that Greek word, done good, speaks of completion. Now, what's interesting is the done evil, that's a different word. And it speaks of an ongoing action. It speaks of a, someone who's practicing evil, someone who has a habit of evil. So over here, true good fruit is I did this thing. Bad fruit is I am constantly doing this evil thing. And what it's drawing out is if your soul is dead, you will be living in habitual, perpetual evil. You will be practicing evil. You will be getting better at evil. You will actually like these evil things you are doing. You may not like the consequences, but you actually want to do this evil thing. It is a habit. It is what the whole tone and tenor of your life looks like. I continually do this thing. And so even in these words, it's speaking of two very different actions. Now, a soul that has been saved and resurrected by Jesus will from, from our hearts, we will love God and we will want to please God and we will inevitably do good things. Now, we're not perfect until we see him face to face. We still need the blood of Jesus. We still repent, but we are ongoing doing, doing good deeds to try and please God. And, and when you stand before God, there will be sufficient evidence to show your soul was alive. Now you may say, well, how much do you have to do to really prove it? Let, let me just use one biblical example. Do you remember one of the thieves who was hanging on the cross next to Jesus? Now, now one was making fun of Jesus. And it actually, in one of the gospels, it says both of them were mocking Jesus. But at one point, one of these thieves looks at Jesus and he realizes this man's innocent. This man is not guilty like I'm guilty. And then what he does is he talks to Jesus. He says, Jesus, when you go to your kingdom, remember me. And what he's doing is acknowledging I'm a sinner, but you're not, you're perfect. You're the son of God. So when you go to heaven, remember me. And what does Jesus say? Well, you know, I would, but you really, it's a bummer because you're nailed to a cross and you need to go do some good works first to prove yourself. What does Jesus say to him? He recognizes this is real saving faith. And he says to him, truly, you will be with me in eternity today. 
Now, what I love is this man in his dying breaths actually had spiritual fruit. First and foremost, he believed in Jesus. But secondly, if you recall, he he actually challenges the other guy and he says, hey, stop abusing Jesus. He's, he, 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 he tells him to stop mocking Jesus. And then he publicly in front of everyone proclaims his trust in Jesus. And my point is this, even a man who on his deathbed believed in Jesus, even with his last fleeting moments, he had real evidence that he's, his soul was alive. There was real evidence, and that will be sufficient evidence. When he stands before God, God's not going to look at all of the evil that would, if it was in a, a debt, it would be a hundred billion dollars, but over here you got, well, you got five bucks of righteousness. That's not how God looks at it. All he's looking for is, is there, is there actual spiritual fruit that reveals that you are spiritually alive? And there will be sufficient evidence for that man. Jesus said, you will be with me in heaven. So this is not, you need to do more good deeds, but it is, if you are really spiritually alive, you will bear fruit. Now the Bible is crystal clear. If you say you believe in Jesus, you say, I trust in him, but your life does not have fruit. You should be concerned about your soul. We should, in fact, every time we take communion, and I just want to make a mention of that. You know, at least at this moment, um, the leaders of our church have decided, you know what? It's worth waiting until we are truly together to take communion. And so for a moment, like in exile, we are just longing to be together until we will truly do that together. Um, but when we do take communion, what the Bible says is we need to examine ourselves. We need to examine, where have I sinned? And I need to confess that sin. And I want to remember that the blood of Jesus was shed for my sin. And then I want to long to, to be holy. The Bible is clear. We should, as Christians, examine ourselves. And when we examine ourselves, if there is no spiritual fruit, in fact, there is this perpetual, habitual sin, we should be concerned. Uh, I, I just want to read one, one of these passages uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Hebrews 12, 14. The author says, Strive for peace with everyone, hear this, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. What he is saying is you will not see the Lord. You will not stand justified in the end if there's no holiness in your life. Because justified people, people with real spiritual life will have holiness. They will have holy lives. They will be growing in a desire to obey Jesus, to follow him, to confess their sin. In fact, simply repenting and confessing is maybe the most significant step of holiness. It's saying no more to sin. I want Jesus. And so we must press on towards holiness if we are truly spiritually alive. And when we stand before God, our lives will reveal we are truly spiritually alive. Alive. And yet there will be those, as this 
text says, those who have done evil, those whose lives are perpetually acting in evil, their habits are evil. They will perish consciously suffering the punishment for their sin. Two places for all eternity. And so there is nothing more significant than truly believing in Christ, being spiritually resurrected so that we can know that when that day comes, we will be with him forever. And in fact, I, wanna, I just want to close with two really practical things for, for, for both those groups of people. If you are a Christian, the Bible says that, that you should, that, that there's actually this thing offered to you that's called assurance that says, I know, I am confident that when I die, I will be with God. That is the goal for our life as Christians. We don't want to live perpetually scared or nervous. Have I done enough? Um, in 1 John chapter 2, John, the same author, speaks of what the, what the daily life of a Christian should look like. And in verses 28 and 29, he says this, Now, little children, abide in him, Jesus, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. What he's saying is the, the, the goal of the Christian is to keep walking with Jesus, abiding in Jesus, being with him in his word, obeying him, so that when he comes, you won't be timid and afraid and unsure. You're like, I know him. I don't need to shrink back. I am this, I'm a son or daughter of God. And one more, one more passage, just a few chapters later, in chapter five, verse 13, listen to what John says. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Why? That you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know, that you know that you know, I have eternal life. That's the goal. That, that, is, that is the goal of a Christian. That not only would you know, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but that you would know with confidence, I will see him face to face. I don't need to shrink back. I don't need to fear that last judgment day. I have confidence. I am excited to see my Lord. So that is the goal for the Christian, that you would abide in him, that you would be holy, that you're, you would be so walking with God and so obeying him, that you, your life is so full of these good deeds and you could just be looking forward to the day when you see him face to face. Now, if that's not you, if your life seems more like the life of evil deeds, making a habit of evil deeds, well, what would this passage, this text, this, these words of Jesus mean for you? What would they mean for you? Well, simply they would mean that you, that you should repent, turn from your sin and your ways and believe in Jesus. That today, tomorrow, soon, the hour is coming, that you would turn 
and say to God, God, I don't want to live for myself. I, I don't want to practice evil deeds. I want to turn from these things. I, I need you, Jesus, and your blood to be shed for my sins that I could be forgiven, that my dead soul would come to life. That you would be covered in the blood of Jesus so that you too could know I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. I don't need to fear death, but I can look forward to the day when the voice of Jesus will go out and every person will rise from the dead. We will see him. And so I just want to say to you, if you have yet to do that, the hour is coming. The hour is coming and you will see Jesus with your own face. And right now his hand is out to you. His word is going forth. Would you hear the words of Jesus and say, I believe. I believe, Lord. I repent of my sin. I trust in you. Would you have mercy on me? And if that's you, um, I just want to encourage you. We have a a page on our website called Connect. You can connect with uh, myself, with another pastor, with someone in this church where you can learn more about Jesus. Uh, I believe and I pray that the Lord is allowing this crazy season we, we are living in right now so that we would heed the words that these temporary sufferings, this temporary judgment, so to speak, would remind us that the day is coming, that the hour is coming when we will all see him face to face. So Jesus, I ask your word would be effective. Thank you, Lord, that you can speak even through my jumbled mind and phrases and your spirit can take the truth from your word and you can save and you can bring assurance. You can bring repentance for those of us who are maybe beginning to practice sin again. Would you call us out? Would you call us into the light? Lord, I pray against sin. I pray against adultery and lust and pornography in this season when we're isolated, Lord. I pray against the fear of death. I pray against the fear of man. Please, Holy Spirit, go forth. Give us greater confidence in the words of Jesus that we would look forward to seeing you face to face. It's in Jesus' name, amen.